this morning in Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there should be a solid colored Bible somewhere nearby. I encourage you to grab one and follow along with us. Uh, I'm simply going to read the 136th Psalm and try to explain what it means and how it applies in our life today. Uh, we've been pushing pretty hard through the book of Acts uh, over the past several months, and uh, the, the staple of our preaching diet here at Pillar is that we pick a book of the Bible and we start at the beginning of it and we work our way to the end of that book and uh, we don't skip sections of it and we uh, just break it up and preach it as we see fit. Uh, and then uh, really the goal for each week is that a faithful man who is prepared well would stand up here and try to figure out what the passage means and make the main point of the passage to be the main point of the sermon. That's all we're trying to do up here. Uh, so we've been going pretty good in the book of Acts. We're actually going to take a step back from the book of Acts for a few weeks because uh, some of you are like, Psalm, what are you talking about? I just brought, some of you have bought like the, it's just the book of Acts, and so you're here without a Bible this morning. You're like, I just have Acts. I gotta. That's okay. That's all right. We provided them for you, but follow along. Or you might have a phone app. That's fine. Uh, so we're going to take a little break from the book of Acts for a couple weeks. We're going to have uh, two standalone sermons this week and next week. I uh, really focus on Thanksgiving. Uh, a little bit, and then uh, the following four weeks in December, we're going to be talking about the big idea of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And then in January, we're going to pick back up with the book of Acts. We left a guy by the name of Saul. He has had a drastic conversion uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up on his ministry uh, when we get back into the book of Acts uh, starting in the new year. The title for the sermon this morning is, Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. So this week as we prepare for Thanksgiving, I thought it would be appropriate if we went to what the Bible says about Thanksgiving, if we went to one of the many Psalms of Thanksgiving. So uh, in the Psalms, it's the longest book of the Bible, 150 Psalms, and several of them are Psalms of Thanksgiving. So I thought it would be appropriate if we work through one of these psalms of thanksgiving. And what we will see in this passage is how we can be thankful to God about many aspects of His character, many aspects of His character, and how each one of those is made known to us and brought near to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, as I do this, as I read a thanksgiving psalm, and look through that psalm to see Jesus, I understand I'm actually like entering into what is an argument in many of your homes right now. There's an argument that happens about this time every year. And uh, it seems to divide homes. It seems to divide people. Sometimes people put it on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else. One side of the argument states this, that there is a hard line between Thanksgiving and Christmas. There shall be no Christmas carols before Thanksgiving. There shall be no Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. There shall be no Christmas cookies before Thanksgiving. No Christmas cheer before Thanksgiving. That's one side of the argument. 
The other side of that argument states, that's silly, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> I have, man, we, there are amens, that's more amens on both sides of that argument. Uh, so I am jumping right into the middle of that argument. However, maybe you've, I've already shown my hand a little bit by even how I articulated it. I pray that I make a better plea. I want you to usher, I want to usher you into something better than drawing a hard line between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Instead, I pray that this Thanksgiving, this week, and honestly our entire lives, that we would thank God for the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I, I, would, I would plead with you to not just think about the incarnation of Christ four weeks out of the year, and then for 48 weeks out of the year that you would try to do it all yourself. But instead that you would realize that you are needing God to come and dwell with us all 52 weeks out of the year. Some of you are like, yes, I won this one. Don't, don't put me in between that. But just listen to the sermon for yourself. Don't listen to the sermon on behalf of your spouse. Do not repeat portions of the sermon for your spouse. Instead, just hear it and respond yourself as you see fit. If I am not faithful to the text, you have every right to disagree with everything I say. Where I'm faithful to the text, however, please submit. Psalm 136. I'm actually going to ask that we do this responsively. This is a very repetitive psalm. Uh, there are 26 verses in this psalm, and 26 times we get a phrase, and that phrase is, For His steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to ask you every time you see that phrase to say that in unison together, and I'll say what changes you stay uh, with. For His steadfast love endures forever. All right, think we can do that? I trust you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him alone who does great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. 
and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servants. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh gives thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. So what I pray that we'll see in this passage this morning are six things to thank God for this Thanksgiving. Six things to thank God for this Thanksgiving. Six aspects of God's character that we can thank Him for and praise Him for which are made known to us in Jesus Christ. So the first one that we, can, we see in verse 1, in verse 1, thank God, the one true God. Thank God, the one true God. In verse 1 it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Now, our English translations struggle a little bit, and so uh, one thing that they do is when there's the personal name of God, uh, most of your English translations will have a capital L-O-R-D, and when it's just the general name for Lord, they will write it normally based on sentence case, right? And so when you see that in most of your English translations, capital L-O-R-D, that is the personal name of God, we believe it would be pronounced something like Yahweh. And so what we see here is the psalmist does not just tell us to give thanks. He instead says, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to Yahweh. He is very clear in who we should give thanks to. In our culture, Thanksgiving has become a very nebulous concept. If you watch TV, if you watch the news, if you just listen to people talk, it has just become a nebulous concept. We are supposed to be thankful. We're supposed to give thanks. But that doesn't actually mean anything if we don't know the person to whom we are to give thanks. If we don't know who the originator of all things is, then we cannot give thanks. We are to give thanks to the Lord. We are to give thanks to Yahweh, the one true God of the Bible. What are we supposed to give Him thanks for? Generally speaking, just here in verse 1, we are to give Him thanks because He is good and because His steadfast love endures forever. Obviously from our reading, this phrase is repeated. It's repeated 26 times in this psalm. One time for every verse. We need to thank God ultimately for His steadfast love that endures forever. Some of your translations will use the word loving kindness or maybe faithful kindness or something else like that. It's this idea of a love, a loving kindness, a steadfast love that endures and goes on forever. And so, whatever your circumstances are this morning, we can worship and we can thank God, the one true God of the Bible, because His steadfast love endures forever forever. So you may come in this morning and and you're dealing with sin in your life. You can trust if you are a child of God that His steadfast love endures forever. And Romans 8.28 is true for you if you are a child of God. 
It is true for you that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. His steadfast love endures forever. You may be coming in here and you're being sinned against or maybe just life is really difficult and things are weighing down on you. You can worship the one true God of the Bible that His steadfast love endures forever. We need to thank God. We need to thank the one true God of the Bible this Thanksgiving and always. We need to thank Him for Him. We need to thank Him for who He is. We need to thank Him for His character and for His work. And so as you prepare even for this week, who are you giving thanks to? Is it just this nebulous concept to you? Uh, Give thanks. Let me be a thankful person. Or are you giving thanks to the one true God of the Bible? What are you giving thanks for? Are you just giving thanks for the good stuff in your life, the things that you immediately know to be good? Or are you thanking God for His character and who He is, even in the mess of life? We need to give thanks to God. Thank God, the one true God, is who we need to thank. Secondly, this morning we need to thank God, who is the Most High. In verses 2 and 3, we need to thank God who is the Most High. You see, Yahweh is not just one specific God amongst all the other so-called gods. The psalmist is clear. He says, give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, the one true God. In verse 2, he says, give thanks to the God of all the other so-called gods. In verse 3, he says, give thanks to the Lord of all the other so-called lords. We do not just worship a God amongst other gods. We worship the one true God who is above all. And now is a clear moment where we can understand as New Testament Christians, as people who have the entirety of Scripture all placed together, we can start to see that the New Testament writers are trying to help us read the Old Testament in understanding that Jesus is God. In Revelation 17, Jesus is described like this, Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Revelation 17. So the writer of Revelation, the Apostle John, he says, look, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. And that causes us to hearken back to passages like Psalm 136, where we're told that the one true God of the Bible is the God of gods and the Lord of Lords. Like Yahweh is called the God of gods and Lord of lords, Jesus is called Lord of lords and King of kings. Those of us who are Christians who know the one true God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we do not have to thank and worship lesser gods. We don't have to go searching for lesser gods. We don't have to uh, assume that we're just, we have an answer or a way, but no, we can understand what Jesus says, that we understand the, the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to thank lesser gods. We can give thanks and worship and praise to the one true God who is God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the most high God. The psalmist goes on. He also says we can thank God the Creator. In verses 4-9, through we see the psalmist praising God and thanking God for His steadfast love that endures forever as the Creator. 
In verses 4 through 9, the psalmist praises God for his wonderful work in creation. This week, I want you to take notice of creation. As you walk out of here today, I think it's supposed to be a relatively nice day by our definitions. Right? But as you walk out of here today, I want you to take notice of creation. I want you to notice the falling trees and the, the symbols of deadness that we see around us as it gets colder. And I want to remember the promises that, that God will make it new in the spring. And that those trees and those things will come back to life in the spring. I want you to take notice of the beauty of the sunrises and the sunsets. In the winter, the sunrises and the sunsets last a little bit longer, and they're more apt to have beauty in the skies of the reds and the blues and the purples. I want you to take notice of that this week. I want you to take notice there's lots of bridges in Onslow County as you drive over bridges, as I'm sure you will this week. As you drive over bridges and you're able to look out over a river or you're able to look out over water, I want you to stop and I want you to pause and I want you to realize, wow, this is a beautiful creation. I don't want you to rest there and worship creation, however. I want you to turn that to worshiping the one true God of the Bible, the Creator God. Allow that observation of God's beautiful creation to propel you into worship of the Creator who made and sustains all of it. Thank God for His beautiful creation. I also want you to think about the Apostle John as he thinks about Jesus and Jesus becoming flesh and coming to us in our lowest state. You see, in the beginning of John's Gospel account, in John chapter 1, he starts his Gospel account like this. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was not... Man, I lost my place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then a few sentences later, the Apostle John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Apostle John, as he writes, he says, Look, the, the Word, this, this is the Word uh, who was God, who was with God. Nothing was made without Him. Through Him everything was created. That Word, God the Son, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he goes on to explain the person and work of Jesus Christ. God created and sustains all things through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. We can thank God, the Creator. The psalmist goes on in verses 10 through 16. Verses 10 through 16. Thank God the Redeemer. Thank God the Redeemer. Now up until this point, You've had to do some work, I imagine. One, I made you like help me read through the passage, which might be a little different for you. Okay. I understand we've had to do some work to get to this point in Psalm 136. You've had to focus your thoughts and your thanksgiving to the Lord instead of yourself or just some nebulous idea. You've had to get your eyes off of yourself and onto God. You may have had to even get past the fact that I, I made it very clear that we are a divided people on one particular argument in our society today. You might have had to get past a few of those things. But these next couple of points are going to challenge us even further. It's specifically this one and the next one that we can thank God the Redeemer. You see, if 
you were wondering where in my Bible I could go to read about verses 4 through 9. So back up verses 4 through 9 where he's talking about Creator God, the great wonders that God made the heavens and that God made the earth above and the waters, that He made the great lights, that He made the sun to rule over the day and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. Like the psalmist very clearly has a passage of Scripture in his mind when he writes that psalm. And if you're like, where would I go to read about that? You would go all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You say, okay, Genesis 1 and 2. Many of you, that's familiar to you. Maybe if you've just picked up a children's Bible, usually one of the first stories in the children's Bible is God creating everything. God said, and it was so, and it was good. God said, and it was so, and it was good. And so that's Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then that's, that's verse 9. And then in verse 10... All of a sudden, it feels like a hard shift, does it not? In verse 10, he says, To him who struck down the firstborn in Egypt. Whoa, what just happened, right? So we went from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the psalmist's mind, and then he jumps all the way to Exodus chapters, really, 1 through 15, where God redeems the nation of Israel His chosen people, He redeems them from slavery where they were in oppressive slavery under Pharaoh. And you might be asking, okay, so between Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Exodus chapters 1 through 15, man, what happens between those two passages? For starters, a lot happens. It's 48 chapters of the Bible that happens between Genesis chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 1. There is 48 chapters of Old Testament narrative. So there's a lot that goes on. I'll not say all that goes on, but we can be confident that at least one big theme happens during that time. And the one big theme that happens during that time is rebellion against God. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, rebellion against God is a big theme of the rest of the book of Genesis. We see evil. We see oppression. We see sins in the form of murder. We see unjust warfare, kidnapping, rape, prostitution, human trafficking, unjust slavery, stealing, worship of false gods, on and on and on I could go. That's what happens from Genesis 3 up until Exodus chapter 1. Rebellion against God. At one point, things are so bad, in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, God looks out on the whole earth. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, it says that man's heart was only and continually against God. It was always and continually sinful. And so God destroys mankind. He makes a plan and He destroys mankind, but chooses to save one family and starting over with that one family to repopulate the earth. And you're like, okay, well that's good. So one guy that He chose and His sons and their wives, and, and okay, maybe, maybe this can perpetuate forward, but sin just continues on from Genesis 9 and forward. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Roman Christians is clear. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then later on in Romans chapter 6, he says it clearly as well. He says, look, the wages of sin, the the right payment for sin is death. 
Everyone has sinned, and everyone deserves to die. And in Exodus chapters 1 through 15, God redeems his people Israel, and one of the means by which he redeems his people Israel was by granting the wage of death to the most powerful human authority on the planet at the time, a guy who would have thought himself to be God, Pharaoh. You may say, well, that's a, that's a big deal. Well, verse, uh, verse 15 in our passage in Psalms says that not only did God shake off, overthrow Pharaoh, kill Pharaoh, it also says that He overthrew His host, His armies, in the Red Sea. So He killed Pharaoh and He killed His armies. Back in verse 10, it says that God even killed the, all the firstborn males of Egypt. This is what God did to free His people from slavery in Egypt. Redemption through the horrific death of Pharaoh, his entire army, and the firstborn of Egypt. The psalmist here credits God as the one who does this, who executes all of that death. And the psalmist credits God for being the one who uses that death to redeem his people. And the psalmist thanks God for that. How in the world could the psalmist thank God for such a thing? How could the psalmist thank God for all of that death? Well, one reason, I'm sure there's many, but one reason is because the psalmist is an Israelite. He owes his very life and freedom to God's salvation of his people generations before he even lived. God's salvation of His people. The psalmist knows that God very well could have killed the Israelites in their sin instead of killing the Egyptians in their sin. But God decided to free the Israelites instead of the Egyptians and to save the Israelites. He chose to redeem them. If you're wondering where you are in this story, you are sinful. You deserve death. You're like Pharaoh and or his host, that's the bad news. You deserve death. Here's the good news. Hopefully you didn't come here this morning for bad news. Here's the good news. That Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the one who receives the punishment of death for sin on behalf of His people. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that God made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus we Christians might become the righteousness of God. That we might be redeemed spiritually and eternally like the Israelites were redeemed physically and temporarily. This week... I imagine that most of us, if not all of us, will come face to face with our own sin. Something's going to happen this week where when you look in the mirror or you lay your head on the pillow, you realize that what I've said is true, that you are a sinner and that you deserve death. You're going to have a temptation at this point to explain it away. You're going to have a temptation at this point to minimize it. 
You're going to have a temptation to pretend that it's not there. I want you to do something else instead. I want you to look at it. I want you to examine it. And I want you to know that before God that you deserve death and eternal separation from Almighty God. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Keep going. Then I want you to look to God who is able to redeem His people. I want you to look to God and I want you to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Whether you need to do this initially, like, man, I, this is brand new stuff for me. What you're saying, i got to process this for a while. I got it. Let's, let's process that. Let's work through that. Or whether this is continual repentance. The life of a Christian is to be aware of our sin and to turn from sin and to trust in Christ for salvation. So whether you need to do it initially or whether you need to do so in an ongoing fashion, a continual fashion, we need to turn from sin and we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We can thank God this Thanksgiving that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. I'm on number five. I don't know if y'all are or not. I hope you are. Verses 17 through 22, thank God the inheritance. Thank God the inheritance. In verses 17 through 22, the psalmist praises God for bringing His people, the Israelites, into the promised land. Again, I'll not harp on it, but the way he does it is by overthrowing kings, specific kings in a specific place, in a specific time, historically accurate. He overthrows those kings who possess the land. If you're like, where would I read about this that the psalmist has in mind? You could go to the book of Joshua and you could read the book of Joshua. And it is a violent book. For like, well, God's just loving and He just brings sheep to Himself. Yes, but He also slaughters wolves. And the book of Joshua is a violent book. God leads His people to violently overthrow the kings who are possessing the promised land and to enter it as their inheritance. Again, a physical land for a temporary period of time. The Christians, however, God is our inheritance. God is our inheritance through Jesus Christ. In new creation, the entire earth will be ours, not just a piece of land on the eastern Mediterranean, but the whole of creation will belong to us. God will dwell with His people, and His people will dwell with God. For Christians, we actually get a, a taste of that given to us at salvation. We call Him the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 writes this, In Jesus we have obtained an inheritance. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Until we have that perfect unity with God and He with us in His world forever. Perhaps you're here this morning and I don't know what brought you here. You may be here this morning and like, man, I just need some help in this relationship. Maybe I'll try church out. Maybe you're just like, I need some more money, so I'll try church out. Maybe you need a better job, a different boss. Maybe I'll try church out and come and pray for something like that. 
I want you to know that the good news of the Bible is that we get an inheritance far better than any of that. We get God Himself. As one pastor says very clearly, God is the Gospel. What we get is God Himself. That's why the, the seed that we get, the, uh, the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance is the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What we get in salvation is God Himself. Jesus obtains for us an inheritance in God. Thank God, our inheritance. Next, what we see in Psalm 136 is we can thank God who remembers. Thank God who remembers. Verse 23 says that God remembers us in our low estates. God remembers us in our low estate. This is also good news. Right? Again, you may have come in here thinking that you are of low estate. It would be unwise of me and unhelpful of me saying, no, you're not of low estate. You're a pretty neat guy. You are of low estate. I am of low estate. But the good news is that God has remembered us in our low estates. The story of the Bible is not that God helps those who help themselves. The story of the Bible is not how to follow a bunch of rules so that you can get to God and earn our way to God. The story of the Bible is that we are of low estates. That's about the mildest way to put it. We are of low estate, and God has remembered us in our low estate and rescues His people from our foes despite our low estate and despite our inability to defeat our foes ourselves. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus remembers our low estate and comes to dwell with us. Philippians chapter 2, again, the Apostle Paul, the guy we just read about his conversion, he ended up writing 13 books of the New Testament. I know I keep quoting him here. God did a big work in his life. In Philippians chapter 2, he writes this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or taken advantage of, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this week as you realize your lowest state, that you realize that you are in desperate need of help, do not run from that feeling. Do not minimize or act like it's not there. Acknowledge that you are of low estates. But don't stop there. Keep going and look to Jesus. Who though He was, he, he was in the form of God, He was equal to the Father in glory and majesty. He did not use that equality to His own advantage, but instead He emptied Himself. He made Himself of low estate. He was born to a teenage virgin and a carpenter adoptive father. He was placed into a feeding trough in a barn. He left the throne room of heaven to go there. And he did this to remember and to redeem those of low estate. This, this Thanksgiving, but not just this Thanksgiving, with the rest of our lives, we need to thank God. Ultimately, thank God for Jesus. Jesus is the Most High. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one through whom and for whom all things were created. 
Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the one who takes our sins upon Himself and pays the debt that we deserve and gives us the life that we do not deserve. He is our Redeemer. Jesus is the one who obtains for us an inheritance. We can't go get the inheritance ourselves. He has to obtain it for us. Jesus is the one who remembers us in our lowest states and he in our lowest state and he comes and dwells with us here to redeem his people. Thank God for Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. God so often we are prone to write ourselves into so many of these roles and characteristics. So often we believe that we are the Most High. We believe that we are the Creator of good and wonderful things. We believe that we are able to redeem. We believe that we are the ones who can obtain for ourselves an inheritance. And we believe that we are not even of low estate, that we would need anyone to come and help us. God, would you forgive us of this? God, I pray that you would help us to turn from that. And as we turn from that, that we would turn to Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, it is through you and for you that all things were created. Jesus, you are the Redeemer. You take on the punishment that we deserve. And you give us the life that we do not deserve. Jesus, you are the one that obtains an inheritance for us. Jesus, you are the one who remembers us and comes and visits us in our low estate. God, we thank you. Jesus, I pray that you would remind your children, your sheep, this morning that they are in you and that you are in them and they just need to abide in you and that you will abide in them. God, comfort your sheep this morning. God, for those who have never turned to you, who still think themselves to be something. God, I pray that you would convict of sin. God, I pray that you would bring about repentance in their lives. God, we love you. We look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.